All right. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Sydney. Um, it almost seems like I'm a, a guest speaker because you haven't been here for so long. Um, that's okay. Ben's uh, off at Camp Kidron this week, so he's asked me to step in and do that. Um, just on a couple of housekeeping things, Trudy's going to send out the roster this week. Um, so you should receive it on the email. There also is a hard copy out front. Just check it if there's something that you don't agree with or maybe you want something different. Um, just let her know or make the change on the roster. And hopefully we'll have that resolved by next Sunday going forward. Um, if you wouldn't mind, we're going to go through Matthew, uh, the first part of chapter 5, which is uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. Um, so I've uh, personally, I've been going through uh, the scriptures, and I, I go through from Genesis to Revelation, and then once I get done with Revelation, I go back, and I read, and I read, and I just keep going through, going through, going through. So... Um, Personally, I just got done with the Old Testament, so I finished Malachi, and now I'm into Matthew, and um, the first time that Jesus really starts to speak is chapter 5, and I was like, wow, this is quite nice, uh, and we're going through um, Ezekiel at home, and the funny thing about the Old Testament is you, you, you have the intermediary where God speaks to a prophet, and everything is, thus saith the Lord, or the word of the Lord came to me. But then you go to the New Testament and it's like fresh and, and it's, it's a revelation where it's Jesus just starts to speak. There's no, thus saith the Lord or the word of the Lord came to me because he is the Lord and the word was right there. So it's, it's, it's refreshing to me. Um, and this is what stood out. Um, you know, we, we, we're, we're living in quite unprecedented times. Um, for us, you know, obviously people who were born quite a long time ago went through world wars and things like that and catastrophic for us, this is, this is catastrophic, but really compared to that, it's inconvenient. Um, but things get hard and we don't communicate as well. We don't see each other and you get, you get to be lonely and you sometimes can become disillusioned and you're like, how come this is happening to me? Why is this about me? And it's hard. Um, but when you get to Matthew and, and see what Jesus starts to talk about in regards to the Beatitudes, it gives us a proper, um, proper perspective on things. And it gets the focus away from us and, and back on him. So we'll start in Matthew chapter 5. But I'm not going to start... Speaking about the Beatitudes, I want to start a little bit further because there's a section in there that if you get that starting point, it makes the Beatitudes so much more clear. And they're called the Beatitudes. I'll get th through why they're, they're called that. But really, it's the attitude that should be. And sometimes our attitudes are what they shouldn't be. But when Jesus talks about that, this is the attitudes that should be prevalent in a Christian's life. So we're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 5 of Matthew. Do not think that I came to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy 
but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. However, therefore, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm going to try and do this without my glasses today. We'll see how this goes. So far, so good. I don't know why I'm actually reading well today. But when Jesus came, he taught with one who taught with authority. And people were amazed at what he did. And he starts out and just talks about the law and the prophets. And that's how the Jewish people basically lived their lives, based on the laws and the commandments of God and what the prophets had told them. Mostly they didn't listen to it, but they tried to live by it. And Jesus starts out and says, I did not come to destroy anything. I'm okay with the law. I'm okay with what's taught in the commandments. I am okay with what the prophets say. And he should be okay with it because he's the author of it. But he continues and says, I came to fulfill it. I am the one who's going to do it, and all of it actually is about me. Next, he tells them, till heaven and earth pass away, the law is basically in place. The law is what it is. It tells people how to live and what God requires. And every one of us falls short of that. And it tells us in verse 19, listen, whoever wants to break this or to teach others, that's no good, and I'm not for that. But whoever's going to try and live by them and teach it, I'm for that. I want that to be taught because that's truth. In verse 20, this is where it becomes reality for these people. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. This is an unbelievable verse that Jesus would have spoken 2,000 years ago. See, we look at the Pharisees and we look at the Sadducees with a little bit of comedic relief because we see how ridiculous they are 2,000 years ago in comparison to what Jesus taught and how he wanted to live. And they were very much on the high and mighty. From a Jewish person's perspective, when they looked at a Pharisee or scribe, they saw someone who was extremely serious, someone who was very studious, someone who took things very, very literal and very, very, um, let's just say, um, to the point where every little thing mattered to them. And you sit there, and for a, a lay person or just a, a general person who was a fisherman or, a, or a, a financial person or a farmer, when you looked at them, you thought, wow, these people are, are just totally awesome. I cannot get to that level. So when Jesus says, your righteousness Basically, the way you relate to God has to be better than them. 
that would have got everyone's attention. And they would have thought, well, how the heck do I do that? How on earth, if these guys are as good as it gets, and I'm just a regular person who goes to work or just tries to do my best, and I'm not even close, how do I do that? And the answer is, you can't. It's impossible. And when Jesus taught this, he's making the point that to live righteously, to try and be right by God by doing and living up to the requirements of being good is impossible. We now know that by his death, that he died on a cross for the sins, the things that we do wrong, because every single person does wrong. Everyone. And you're like, well, if I've done wrong, how can I actually be right with God? And the answer is you can't. And that's why Jesus came to come and die on a cross for your sins. He actually takes your sins, he puts them on his back, he goes on a cross and dies so that they're actually dealt with. And then he says, if you will believe that, if you believe that, that you can have forgiveness of your sins and have eternal life and live in heaven forever. And Jesus then says, I will be with you to the ends of the earth. I'm with you. This is where it all starts. Your righteousness has to be better than the Pharisees and the scribes. And their attention would have been, wow, how can that possibly be? And three years later, Jesus accomplished exactly what he says here. Now let's start at the beginning of chapter 5 of Matthew and see how we can apply the Beatitudes or the attitudes that should be. So verse 1 and 2. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them saying. So we see that the multitudes came. In the previous chapter, it tells us the last verse of the previous chapter, great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. That tells us that people were coming from over 150 kilometers radius area to come and hear him. And like, sometimes you read and go, okay, all the multitudes came. But when he tells us places, just go look in your Bible and look on a map and go, just see how far that is and see what people were coming. It changes the perspective of, of things. So he comes and he goes up on a mountain and all these people and he goes up and he seats. And when you're seated, it means you're going to teach. When you're going to stand, you're going to preach. Well, I prefer to be a teacher more than a preacher, so I should probably be sitting. But there's a camera there, and Paul would be really angry at me if I sat down. And you probably wouldn't see me as well. I'm probably too short. But Jesus, when he sits, that means he's going to teach. And in verse 2, it says, he opened his mouth and taught. Now, this Greek word taught actually means he taught repeatedly. So when we read the scriptures, we're like, we see the Beatitudes, and you're like, oh, that's once, maybe twice. But he taught this over 
and over and over in his ministry. See, we get a snapshot. He's three years every day. That's like a thousand and something days. You guys probably can do the mass. You mask guys can do that. It's over a thousand days, I can assure that. All right? So when the scriptures tell us that if everything that was written down, of everything he said and taught, the world couldn't contain it, he would be teaching continually all the time about this. So he starts out, multitudes of people, the disciples come, and the disciples are probably more than just the 12. There are others who are disciples. And they come and he says, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He starts out with the word blessed. This is miraculous in what he says. Just that word. Because no one would have expected what he said. Blessed. It's important. In Latin, the word is beatus. And that's where we get the word beatitudes. When he says this word, this word is a word that means divine joy or perfect happiness. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Divine joy and perfect happiness. It's not a, a word that's used for humans. In their day, when you use that word blessed, it would refer to someone like the gods would have that or the dead. But never for human beings, never for live people. And yet Jesus uses this word blessed. He would have had everyone's attention. The blessedness, this divine joy, this perfect peace, this perfect happiness, this is what Jesus offers to everyone. This is what he offers, which is just, it's what we want all the time. But it doesn't seem to work that way because other things get in the way. Ourselves, circumstances, hurt, pain, all these different things, they get in our way. But Jesus offers this. He says, blessed. And I wanted to point out in verse 20 that your righteousness has to exceed those of the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees because that's when you come to the point where you say, I can't do this and you need Jesus. And he starts out here in verse 3 and says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, sometimes we can read the poor in spirit and say, oh, this is a person who's down. This is a person who's depressed. This is a person who's just struggling. But the attention is on the spirit, the spiritual side of us. The poor in spirit, the word poor, does not say, I'm worthless. Because everybody has worth. Whatever you're going through, everybody's got some worth. Or I can't do anything. Because everybody can do something. If you've woken up and walked, you've done something. So everybody has something. 
But this poor does not mean I'm worthless. This poor does not mean, well, I've got a job that pays like hardly nothing, but it's enough to get by. That is not what that word poor means. This word poor means like you don't have a job, that you've got nothing, that you are a beggar. That's what the word poor means. So from a spiritual perspective, you are begging. You have nothing. You have nothing that you can actually commend yourself to God. I have nothing. And Jesus says, when you realize that you have nothing spiritually to commend yourself to God, you're blessed. You're blessed. Jesus went on to say, without me, you can do nothing because he is the power. We can do things, but not spiritually. So for me, like when I sit up here and I teach the days before and even this morning, God, fill me with your spirit so that it would impact me and it would impact you. Because apart from him, I can do nothing. I can sit here and teach, but if there is no spiritual power, I'm wasting my time. And he says, if you are poor in spirit, if you recognize you have nothing spiritually, commend yourself to God, you're blessed. You're blessed. And the result of that, understanding that you don't have anything to commend yourself to God, that you need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have nothing. I need your forgiveness. I have done wrong. He says this, the kingdom, you get the kingdom of heaven. You get heaven. He gives that to you. You go from being down here and he lifts you up to here. Unreal. Do you think he's got these people's attention? Here's the King of kings and the Lord of lords showing people what it is to be blessed. We sometimes think, I can't do anything. Your attitude should change. It's the, the Beatitudes, what your attitude should be. To understand that you can't do anything, that's a blessed place to be because you have got Jesus right behind you. Verse 4. Opening up our eyes that we can't do anything leads us into the next verse. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, this doesn't sound very like a, a good thing. Blessed are those who mourn. Like I know when I'm crying or I'm sad and it's really heavily weighing on me, that doesn't feel like I'm blessed. And I'm assuming you guys would probably feel the same sort of way. It, it weighs on you. But again, blessed, that's divine joy. That's joy from a different perspective. Are those who mourn. Mourn means deep, deep grief. Deep grief. And... I personally think he's talking about the grief of sin. When you mourn over the things that you've done wrong or the sin that you see around you and it, and it grieves you, well, guess what? You're blessed. You are blessed. And sometimes we let that get to us where we think, oh, I'm just so tired of it. 
I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of, of the world. And it just gets us down. Understand this, that the Lord's working in you to bless you. When you feel that grief, when that's that grief of sin, and that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit doing this, it says you're going to be comforted because Jesus is that great comforter and he will comfort. And it, actually, this is a promise and a guarantee. If you're mourning over your sin, he's going he's to come and, and give you comfort. And if you're a person who mourns, He's making you more like him because the scripture tells us he's a man of sorrows. That's, that's cool that you become more like him. He's doing that work. You're going to learn more about him, which is what we want. So we read the first two verses there in about being poor in spirit and those who are mourning. And it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a personal thing. It's a, it's a reflection of what's happening in your life, that you, you are poor in spirit. You got nothing, and you're mourning, and it's not, you, you don't like the sin in your life. You don't like the sin around you. Well, then he turns around in, in verse 5. He makes it more applicable to externals. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, most of you guys would know about meekness. So meekness is not weakness. Uh, if you guys don't know this, you, you, you should. So what is meekness? It's power under control. It's like a wild stallion that is caught and then it's tamed and you're then allowed to ride. That's what meekness is. This, this tremendous power yet under control. And for us, we think, well, how the heck do I exert meekness in my life? Because I can understand power and being under control, but really, I, I don't. Do I really have that sort of tremendous power to bring under control? I'm not a wild stallion. I'm, I'm not some incredibly strong person. But we do have our own will. And showing meekness for us would be like submitting to others, submitting to other people's ideas. Um, and meekness is a good thing that Jesus says, for you're blessed when you are meek towards others because the end result is, well, you inherit the earth. Well, what does that mean? We inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Because you, you probably heard this. You, you might have even watched TV shows and someone might even quote that. You know, the meek shall inherit the earth. When we inherit the earth, well, when you get inheritance, you actually have to get inheritance from someone. So the inheritance actually comes from the Lord. He gives it to us so we can know the end results is that he's got us and he's got our back and he's going to give something to you. And knowing that he's got our back, that he's actually under control, we don't have to exert our own power over people or exert our own opinions 
we can actually submit to others, knowing that God's totally in control and he's got us in the end. So we've sat here and we've gone through, okay, Jesus talked about the poor in spirit, that you've got nothing to commend yourself to God. You, you're, you're mourning over your sin, that you're submitting, you're being meek. He's got your back. And it seems like when you do that, when you start to realize that you're not so important, that I am not so important, that others can be more important to me, I can be a lot more meek, and when I don't want the sin in my life, the junk has less influence on me and on you. And the junk can be lots of things. Anything that distracts you from God is really junk. So now he starts to talk about you're not having that stuff, you're not eating the junk food, so to say. He starts to talk in verse 6. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, again, blessed, this divine joy, this happiness, perfect happiness, are those who hunger and thirst. Now, hungering and thirsting, for most of us, we have no idea what that means because we always have access to things. Like for me, the closest thing that I can think about hunger and thirst would be, I, when I was younger, went to the Grand Canyon. And they tell you when you go in the Grand Canyon, everything you carry down, you have to carry out. So when I went down there, I went down there for three days. And you've got to carry all your food and you've got to carry all your water. Water gets heavy. And so I sat there and went, okay, what am I going to do? So I decided I'm going to get bread, and I'll do peanut butter and jelly, because that's an American thing. None of you have any idea what the heck that is. Um, so I, I made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I had water. And that's what I had for three days. I didn't even bring a tent. I slept on a picnic table at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, because... It wasn't supposed to rain, and it wasn't too cold. But the food didn't last very long. So I'm rationing, and I'm having like a sandwich for breakfast. I'm having a sandwich for lunch, and I'm having a sandwich for dinner. And then I started running out. And then I had to get out of the Grand Canyon. Walking down's easy. Downhill's good. Two and a half hours. Walking uphill is not so easy. It took me six hours to walk out. And they tell you if you're going to get out, get out before the sun comes up because it gets very hot. So I don't want to be walking in 35 to 40 degree temperature. So I wake up at 2.30 and I leave at 3 o'clock in the morning and I get out at 9 a.m. and I am starving. I have used up all, depleted all the resources of my body walking up and I am starving. That's the closest I would say that I would get to being hungry, really hungry. But he says in here, hunger and thirst, that's intense. And when you're thirsty, when you're really thirsty, you don't care 
When you see water, you grab it and you drink it. That's intense. So when Jesus talks about being hungering and thirsting for righteousness, this is intensity that you want to be right with God. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Righteousness is being right with God. And you want things around you to be right with God. For us, I don't know about you guys, but I know about me. When I hunger and thirst for righteousness, in my mind it plays out things like, I want to be better, I want to be less sinful. Does that happen to you guys? And things like, you know, I just want to be more like him because I am so sick of being so much like me. Or I look around the world or you watch the news and you're like, I am so tired of this. I'm tired of the hurt and the pain and the killings and the stealing. And you're like, man, I just, I don't want this stuff anymore. That's God. He says, you're blessed if you feel like that. If you say, I, am, I don't want to, I want to be better, I want to be like him. That's a good thing. You're blessed. That's a blessed thing. And look at the result of that. Jesus says, for they shall be filled. You shall be filled. Jesus will fill you. He fills you in sort of a strange way because he does fill you, but he also leaves something there where you want more. So it's not like he's going to fill you and you're like, oh, okay, now I, oh, I don't have to be, I'm not sinful anymore. That's, that's not going to happen. He, he's putting that hunger in your hearts to be right with him. And I will say this as a reminder for Matthew 7:11 that he says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? When was the last time you asked for the Holy Spirit to fill you? Just a reminder. Because he says, if you ask, you get. So if you're tired of your sinful self, if you're tired of not feeling so close or not being who you should be, Ask him to fill you. That's the only way it's going to happen is through his power, not ours. That's a reminder. You will be filled. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So merciful. It's not getting what you deserve. And being merciful is not giving what someone deserves. For me, it usually has to do with my children because I ask them to do things and they don't. And sometimes I want to take away everything. 
but I'm blessed if I'm merciful. And if I'm merciful, you get mercy in return, it tells us here. The greatest example of this in Scripture, I think, is King David. King David was sinful in so many ways, and yet he had a heart after God. There was a man named Solomon, not Solomon, Saul, who came after him continually. He wanted his head. He, wanted, he came after him over and over and over again. Saul came to kill David. David then figures this out, and he had numerous opportunities to kill him back. But he always said, leave him alone. He's God's anointed. He gave him mercy. And because he gave him mercy continually, even though he continually sinned and did wrong, God looked at him and God gave David mercy. There's so much that God could have exposed about David, but God didn't. And I'm sure there's a lot that God could expose about us. But being merciful, in return we get mercy back. Sometimes from people, sometimes, but always from God. Verse 8, more on the blessedness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart means the core, the center, you're not distracted. It doesn't mean you're completely clean. Jesus is the one who makes us clean. But pure in heart means you're not distracted. And when you're not distracted, you're more focused on the Lord. There are lots of things that distract us. Entertainment, what we want, um, money, things distract. But he says when you, when you have this pure of heart, when you're not distracted, well, look at the end result in this. This is something that we should all pay major attention to, for it says, if you're not distracted, for they shall see God. Hey, that's really, really good to see God. And you know, when we're distracted or we can't see, in our physical world, when we can't see, it's usually because, well, something's blocking us or it's dark or smog or pollution and all these, in Scripture, we talk about darkness and pollution and all this stuff, and it's usually a reference to sin. When the sin is having more weight on your life, you're not going to see God. It says, but when you get rid of the distractions, you're going to see Him. When you open the Scriptures, you'll see Him. When you're walking and looking at nature, you'll see Him. When you come to church, you might actually see him. You might see him in other people. But when the other things are there as a distraction, the sin, ourselves, different things, 
we're going to have communion today. And I'll be talking a little bit about this, about getting back to him. Okay? For when you're pure in heart, you see God. And some people are like, I never see God. Well, maybe you're just too much sins in your life. Get, deal with it. Get rid of the distractions. You'll see him. You'll see him when you open the scriptures. You might actually see him in yourself. That you're like, where'd that come from? Because that's not me. That's really cool. Because you're like, God's really doing a work. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The peacemakers. That's not the people who walk around going, peace, man. All right? The peacemakers... Well, for someone to be a peacemaker, there has to be a problem. There has to be a conflict. And it usually takes two, sometimes takes even more. And a conflict of two people, one of those in the conflict might actually be you or me. So we sometimes think, well, the peacemaker, there's a problem, and I'll get in the, I'll get in the middle of it, and I'll fix it all. It's like, wait a second, I might be the problem. It's me. There's also a problem between man and God. It's called sin. And we can be a peacemaker by introducing Jesus into the middle of a conflict with people. We can introduce Jesus in the middle of that conflict that every single person has between themselves and God because Jesus fixes the sin problem. Peacemakers. Jesus says, if you're a peacemaker, well, then you're going to be called a son of God or a daughter of God. I'll, I'll, I'll go with that for the women in here. You'll be a son or a daughter of God if you're a peacemaker. You'll be recognized. You'll be told that you're a son of God. God recognizes you as special, as his now, I don't know about you, but peacemaking isn't easy. For if you are that person who's going to get in between a conflict of two people, usually go to talk to one person, and they tell you all the bad news, and they usually even might even yell at you. You go, thank you very much. Then you go over to the other person, you find out what their point of view is, and you find out that they're angry, and you take it on board, and... You might actually get yelled at. You're like, thank you very much. I, I enjoy being this peacemaker. But you know, especially between Christians, and sometimes, I'm going to say actually it happens quite often. We get angry at each other because that's what families do. You get angry at each other. But when you bring Jesus in, He sort of does something miraculous. And especially if you're the one who's angry. Why am I angry? Well, because this person did this to me or I'm not happy about this. 
And usually it's I, I am on the throne of my life and not allowing Jesus. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for you're then special. You're you're called the son of God. You're a daughter of God. You don't need to be right. Be a peacemaker. Jesus says, if you're, you know, when there's conflict, it doesn't feel like you're blessed. It doesn't feel like divine joy. It doesn't feel like happiness. It's, it stirs in you. I know this because I've been there numerous times. When you're angry and you're upset, divine joy, I don't think so. Perfect happiness, I don't think so. But when you finally just let go and go, okay, I'm going to submit to what God says. I'll be, I'll be the peacemaker because... I want to be right with God. And then that blessedness comes. And it's hard. It's hard to be a peacemaker. And if there is an issue, and I don't know, I can tell you right now, for me, I don't have any issues with anybody right now, which is pretty good because usually I have issues with somebody, you know, but I don't. But if you do, Jesus says be a peacemaker. Resolve it. Do you want to be blessed? Do you have a problem with God? Have you not dealt with your sins? Then ask forgiveness. Blessedness, divine joy, perfect happiness. It's an internal thing. And it only comes from Him. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Just when you thought it was going to go so great that you have developed, or you're starting to develop these traits in your life, and you're like, okay, I've being a peacemaker. Um, though I can see the Lord's working on my life. And then he tells us, oh, by the way, if you want to do the right thing, you want to be right by God, you're going to get persecuted and you should count it blessed. Um. This is tough, but you're going to be like him because he also was persecuted. And if they didn't think, or if we didn't think that was going to happen, he doubles up. And he says it again in verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name, for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In verse 11, it tells us they will revile and persecute you. In verse 10, it says, for righteousness' sake. In verse 11, it says, for my sake. So, for living your life by being right with God and doing things for Jesus, you're going to get persecuted. And I really like the commentaries I read about this because notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you're persecuted because of your stupidity. 
It doesn't say you're persecuted because of your weirdness. It doesn't say things like that. It says you're persecuted because of righteousness, being right with God, doing the right thing, and you're persecuted because of Jesus' sake. Now, I've seen Christians do some crazy things. I've seen people on TV in front of the entertainment center years ago sprawling on the ground, convulsing. The Spirit's got me. And you think, why do you think people persecute you? This isn't for righteousness or or Jesus' sake. This is for craziness and weirdness. But if you're persecuted because you want to do the right thing, and sometimes the right thing will offend other people. A lot of times it will. Or because you actually use the name Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. Jesus says, you're blessed. Divine joy. Understanding these, because sometimes you look at all these, if you try doing these things without God, it can, the attitudes can become very angry and very resentful, especially when you're persecuted, especially when you're in the middle of an argument and you're trying to be the peacemaker. But the Beatitudes are the attitudes that should be. They should be there, understanding that God's got our back. God's got our back. And in verse 12, it says... Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Exceedingly glad means to be like jumping for joy. That's like, oh, what a feeling, Toyota, you know? Give a plug for the Toyotas. But you're so happy. That's what that means. Oh, I'm getting persecuted. Yeah, that's okay. Because he tells us in this, your reward's in heaven. Your reward's in heaven. So in finalizing this, What are your attitudes for being poor in spirit? What's your attitude like for mourning over sin or being meek or hungering and thirsting to be right with God or to be merciful to others or to be pure in heart, not distracted or being a peacemaker or um, being persecuted? Do you, is your attitude is I'm blessed? Is your attitude is I am angry or I'm frustrated? But in this, he tells us we're actually blessed. You are totally and utterly blessed. Not what these people were expecting and not what we expect. But as we grow and we learn more of him and we grow closer to him, the blessedness works itself out. Are these traits in your lives? Some are, some are still coming and some are still producing. So think about the attitudes. It's the attitude that should be. Jesus is talking about that attitude it should be. So I'll just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to earth and taught us and taught people without an intermediary. For you, Lord, are the Lord of lords. 
You're the king of kings, Lord. You know the things that we struggle with. You know the attitudes that sometimes we have. But Lord, help us to have the attitudes that should be. For in that we would glorify you. And that, Lord, we would make a difference in the world that we live. Um, So we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.